Alright, alright, alright. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Read Rothbard. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this very special President's Day special of the Actual Anarchy podcast brought to you by the fine folks at ReadRothbard.com. We also run ActualAnarchy.com, where we highlight this podcast, which is about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. We also host a bunch of different articles written by uh, contributing authors, uh, most of them found in the Tom Woods Elite Facebook group. So if you aren't a, a fan of uh, Tom Woods just yet, go to TomWoods.com, check it out. Uh, and if you uh, enjoy what he does, get into the Facebook group by being a supporting listener for him. Uh, like I said, you can find us at actualanarchy.com, and this President's Day special is going to be about the film Lincoln, not the uh, Vampire Slayer one, which is probably a better film in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Robert, how you doing, man? I, my co-host is here with me. How are you doing? Thanks, Connie. Yeah, uh, what's up, Freedom Nerds? Um, this special shouldn't exist. Um, it's taking place for President's Day, which shouldn't exist. And hopefully in my lifetime it won't exist, but here we are doing it. Um, yeah, saw the movie back in theaters, and I wasn't able to get to it here, but um, I know you guys have just seen it recently, so you'll be able to carry this one. Uh, anyway, yeah, having a good time, loving life. Let's do this. Yeah, and uh, you kind of tipped, tipped our hand a little bit uh, by saying you guys, because we have a special guest with us. His name is Rex Gazer, and he is a 20-year-old anarcho-capitalist. I can't believe that somebody that young, such an advantage to be an ANCAP already. Uh, it took me until I was almost 35, so that's pretty amazing. Uh, he is uh, going to be writing for us at actualanarchy.com and working on his own blog, which we called for a millennial liberty. That's a working title, so don't don't stick him to that. Just uh, let it let it be known that we will be hosting his stuff and linking out to whatever the eventual uh, actual title is going to be. But how you doing, Rex? Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I'm doing great, guys. Um, <laughs> I don't know how much an advantage. It certainly is uh, liberating, so to speak, and it does allow you to think better as far as being an anarchist at 20. Seems. But no, I, I mean, I've uh, yeah, a little bit about me though. Um, I've been a libertarian basically as long as I've been political, uh, which I started really getting interested at like the age of 12. Um, started reading my first economic stuff at 14. Uh, started with uh, Road to Serfdom by F. A. Hayek, um, and I'm working currently on uh, the treatise by Murray Rothbard. Uh, why am I struggling? Wow. Man, economy, and state. Yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah, great great way to start the show, forgetting like, Murray Rothbard's 
giant informative work. Woohoo! Anyway, yeah, but um, just just so the audience yeah. knows, we we've been on a pre-show call with you for about t- 15 or 20 minutes, and you've been like blowing us away, and then we hit record, and and <laughs> here here we are. <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah, no, and uh, you were also we were also talking in the pre-show about a little bit about what I do. Um, I'm currently a military member in a reserve status, uh, so. Uh, just for the legalities of it, like this is my opinion. Everything we're talking about is my opinion. Nobody else's. Um, uh, and uh, I know a lot of the Rothbardian listeners are going to be like, well, how can you be in the military and Rothbardian? Well, um, there is a giant medical service aspect that happens, and um, I'm certainly a contributor to that. Um, because the thing we have to keep in mind is there's these 18, 19-year-old, 20-year-old kids who you know, sign up for these things and these wars and uh, they're put in harm's way, and I don't think we have enough sympathy for them, right? I mean, they're victims of a system. They're not, they're not, they themselves, like, fully, I'm not saying they're free of guilt or anything. I'm not saying they're, like, you know, they're right to want to go to war. I'm just saying, at the same time, they're young, and this offers advantages for them, like, that are undeniable, right? Like, education being one of the biggest things. Um, and I plan to write more about that for the website, so I won't really dwell on that. I just wanted to throw that out there for people. Um, just so we have full disclosure about me as an anarchist. So, very good. Now, you say you've been a libertarian since you were twelve. I mean, as long as I've been political. So yeah, like I was born into the movement. Like I mean, I was raised by a libertarian. So yeah. Okay, so I mean, you you've been getting into economics though since you were like that old. Because I fourteen. Yeah. I, mean, I was playing Nintendo at that age. So. What, oh, I'm doing what, that what too. That is like a twelve-year-old to pick up an economics book. Uh, I mean, it's, so, again, 14, so I was in high school, like, let's not give me too much credit, uh, and, I mean, like, Road to Surfing is a fairly easy read, and it still took me forever to read it, um, and I'm still pretty slow in reading, I've mostly been reading internet articles from there on out, and that's why there's only, like, two books I'm really talking about right now, I mean, and then I still haven't even delved into, like, the philosophy of philosophy works, it's mostly been the economic works, so, like, um, I think after I get done with... Uh, Man Economy and State is either going to be Hans Hermann Hoppe's uh, Democracy the God That Failed or For New Liberty by Rothbard. But that one's massive, so I might put that off. So, you know. Okay. And you, and you plan on staying in the military? What, what's your plan there? Um, that is a evolving situation um, for, for multiple reasons. Uh, on the one hand, I think it's really, really important for uh, – the perspective side, like I think, I think that we undervalue just how much we don't understand about things like foreign policy, like in a direct sense, not talking about in the general philosophy sense. Obviously, I'm a non-interventionist in nature, but like there's things about foreign policy you can gain from being in the military once you strip away some of the, um, but the noise, right? Like the impact it has on the military. Like the military is not always so pro these engagements. You know, the rank and file people, the apolitical people, you know, they, they often have a less pro-war tendency, especially once you strip away the, the myths about, you know, who we're fighting. So, you know, there's a lot of value in being there and, like, having that perspective. You know, I've always had the argument that it's sort of akin to what's been happening with uh, the black population in the country, where they take mm-hmm. away the economic opportunities with minimum wage laws and license laws and then having um, the war on poverty and the war on drugs. So it sort of removes all of their more legitimate options. And I can envision that being an enticement for people to join the military because a lot of their other options aren't available to them any longer. 
I I definitely think there's some truth to that for sure. Um, uh, I definitely joined for economic reasons um, initially. Um, but I mean, there definitely was an element in which I mean, when I picked what I was doing, it was very motivated by wanting to help people. I turned down certain bonuses for doing more jobs more directly related to the war effort, more so for the fact that I wanted to uh, help people in a real kind of way, you know. So, yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely sympathize with that argument. Um, I also think too that like you know the school system, like the way our, our recruiting tactics, stuff like that, definitely play an impact. Like I remember. Uh, at 17, there was a recruiter in a mall trying to walk up to one of my buddies and trying to like talking a good game about the Marine Corps, and I got kind of mad. So you know, there's there's definitely aspects of that. Yeah, we we've got a little fun story about that. So when uh, Robert and I were young, and we're not so young anymore, but that son of a bitch sicked a uh, Navy recruiter on me, gave him my phone number, and that guy would call me <laughs> a couple oh, times yeah. a week. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> No, it's true. Um, and I mean, by the way, and this is going to sound more—I guess this is going to be sound more sacrilegious to to a lot of y'all. But I mean, I don't even view like everything about that as bad, right? Like, I mean, I think I think especially when libertarians acknowledge the fact that we pay taxes and stuff because we're like in the system that we're set to be in, right? Uh, there is a legitimate argument in trying to better yourself the best way you can, and sometimes you know the military is a legitimate option. Um, I'm not talking about like infantry or anything. I'm just talking about in a general sense. How do you um, feel about the argument that you're essentially being paid with stolen money? Because that was one of the things that I struggled with when yeah. I was potentially pursuing a job in government uh, at a school district. And that was that was the argument Daniel threw at me, and it was an so, argument that I threw at myself, and mm -hmm. I struggled with it. How how, did, how are you dealing with that? Um, I mean, really simply that that money is going to be stolen regardless and is going to go to somebody else who's going to go to me. So, and I mean, I'm not trying to use, it's not like I'm trying to take more of that money than is what is entitled to my position, right? So uh, I take issue with that kind of thinking mostly because uh, if, I mean, again, like, I mean, you're talking about doing a legitimate service like a teacher, right? Mm -hmm. I'm talking about doing a medical, a medical job for, in the reserves, we're not talking about like you know becoming a congressman, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then voting up my own salary every year, and then on top of that taking an illegal pension scheme, and at the same time draining social security. Like you know what I'm saying? Like there's there's there has to be like some limitations on how we view this. Otherwise, like you know, like you know your tax rebate. Why should you get that? Blah blah blah. Like you know what I'm saying? It it's it's a rabbit hole that kind of keeps going for me. So I just stopped really caring about it. Okay. Because yeah, you are you are you would argue that you are providing uh, a, a desirable service. Yes, I am. I mean, I'm I'm in the medical profession, right? So I I see patients and help doctors, you know, uh, you know, deal with their workload. Like, you know, there's there's legitimacy to that service, and I don't see why we have to demonize it just because the money is coming from government. When we when realistically. Um, I would vote like you know I wouldn't vote against I would vote against my own salary if I could right like it's not it's not like that it's just kind of the reality of where I'm at like in my life so I have to still operate according to my own interests. Now are you are you going into this with the intention of going to school later or are you yes, getting skills to to that would allow you to get a job in the private sector afterwards? I'm, I'm planning to go to school. Um, I'm actually planning to study economics at school too. 
that's the game plan right now. Um, uh, I got a couple colleges I'm looking at. Um, I'm really excited because one of them's Hillsdale College, and uh, they have the Mises Library there. If you didn't know that, that's really cool. I got to check that out when I went and visited. It's a cool joint, man. It's awesome. Cool. Um, yeah. You know, so I Walter, mean, Walter Block's always recruiting. Uh, if you want to go down to Loino. Uh, I I would be interested. Um, <laughs> I don't think he'd be very happy with my academic performance, but we, you know we'll see. I mean, Hillsdale's taking me because of the military, which is another thing. Like, I mean, I I I hate to be like this, but you know there is some advantages to, you know, taking what's there for us to use. Not not universally. Again, like I mean, we're I'm doing this from like an apolitical perspective, right? Like when I looked at the military, I, I basically looked at it as an apolitical decision because it was motivated by me wanting to help my friends and then, you know, better my life, better myself, too. So, I think that's important to keep in mind. All right. Yeah, well, well you know, we uh, should probably get around to talking about this movie. What do you guys think? I was just, yeah, I was just about to say, you know, we didn't call the interview me. We called the talk about a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like I was saying in the beginning, this is a President's Day special, and we are talking about it from an actual anarchy, Rothbardian, anarcho-capitalist perspective. So as one can imagine, we probably aren't too keen on the film, though yeah. I think, uh, Rex, you were, you were IMing with me a couple days ago that said you, you kind of liked the movie and you liked the performance by Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, but you watched, uh, yeah. you watched it rather recently, or at least parts of it recently. You want to give us a little bit of a rundown on it, or do you want me to do that part? We're, we're totally um, open. I, I can give like the short rundown, yeah. Um, so Basically, the film covers the last four years of, I mean, sorry, four months of Lincoln, um, Lincoln's life uh, and presidency. And um, the, in that period, uh, you have the most significant event being the thir passing of the 13th Amendment of the Constitution, which, of course, abolished slavery in the United States, um, which I had forgotten, with exception to uh, forfeiture of your rights via, via conviction, which I, we might want to talk about later. But, um, yeah, no, and uh, it talks about the, – the film mostly focuses on Lincoln's drive to end slavery. If I had to say there was any one thing about the film, it was talking about how Lincoln wants to end slavery by any means necessary. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the film, like, in a nutshell, before we get into specifics. And how accurate is that perspective? Oh, in real life? Like, okay, so it depends on what you mean. So it's accurate in the sense of, yes, he did these things. It's less accurate in, like, his own attitude, I would think. Um, right. He was like, a unionist uh, first and foremost. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He was a unionist first and foremost. Yes, that's true. No, he was. Um, no, and I mean, I, I, and they, they portray that in the film. That's the other thing too. They portray he's a unionist. They just don't. They kind of like mix up, um, how valuable, how much of a unionist he is. Uh, although I still think they did a pretty good job of portraying it. I mean, he referred to them as. Like you know, rebels multiple times. He refused to acknowledge them as a sovereign nation. They did that in the film. Um, they they had his opponents point out the fact he's arrested the press, suspended habeas corpus. Like you know, a, a lot of the Lincoln you know problems are on display in this movie. Pretty full, like you know, bold faced. They just like equally heap on virtue signaling. Yeah, I would say that that any um, criticisms of Lincoln of which there are many legitimate ones, but they, they had this uh, virulent, virulent racist be the person who said those things, and so they're automatically mm -hmm. tainted. They're poisoning the Absolutely. well and saying, well, he just hates Lincoln because he's a racist, and so he's just bad-mouthing him 
Well, yeah, but then you have to remember, too, is that, like, his cabinet, even, there's a scene where Lincoln is sitting there with his cabinet, and they find out about uh, the fact that he basically made the deal to send the head, like, you know, the, the, the basically the money half of the uh, conservative right-wingers um, caucus down to uh, Charleston to get the um, the delegation to come to talk peace. And, uh, you know, he's like, you know, the Lincoln who does this is uh, in reference to the 13th Amendment and how it threatens the peace treaty, right? Uh, the Lincoln who does this is, um, you know, basically what the papers have been talking about, you know, the dictator, our king. And, you know, so, I mean, there there's a lot more challenging in the film than I thought there would be uh, or than I remembered. Um, but yeah, that doesn't like... negate the fact. Oh, go ahead. Well, yeah, it seemed like they tried to, to... – bake in some nuance with, with this um, plot device of that they were already winning the war, mm-hmm. but he wanted this 13th Amendment in there to make sure that, um, you know, even if the South were defeated, that slavery would actually be abolished. Um, but I don't think that that is, is a true thing. Um, I mean, D. Lorenzo has many books on, on this. Yeah. He's got the two two Lincoln books specifically, but plenty of talks as well, where Lincoln basically said, I don't, I don't care two wits about slavery as long as I can keep the union together. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I I do agree with that. I agree with that analysis. I I was getting. I think I think the thing the the film. I don't know actually how accurate or inaccurate this is, but like uh, the entire fight around the Thirteenth Amendment in that film. I felt like was a way for Lincoln, and this is just my analysis, was a way for Lincoln to not have to negotiate peace with the South. Right? I felt that was the entire purpose. Was in, because the whole purpose of negotiating peace, like that was what the, a lot of people were pushing for, was to allow the South to be their own country and leave them alone. Right? Which Lincoln wanted no part of. So the 13th right. Amendment allowed him this ability to kick off the South, right? make them not want to come to the table, make them not want to be repatriated because he would take away their slaves. Mm-hmm. So, so it gave him... What? I'm sorry. Yeah, it gives him an, uh, an excuse to keep the war going. Yeah, absolutely. So it ge- you know, it gives him all the power he needs to uh, not just you know, get to the point where the South surrenders, but then to bring them back into the United States basically without having to get up, give up any of his positions or legacy, actually. Right. So yeah, it, it, and and that legacy is is still holding true to this day. I mean, he's probably the the most revered president of all of them, right? I would say so. Uh, the only one who comes close, I can think off the top of my head, is FDR, probably. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, even even the back sleeve of the DVD, which I, I normally watch things on streaming, but they wanted twenty dollars for me for this thing, and I said no. <laughs> What are you so, using? Amazon Prime, my friend. Amazon Prime. Yeah, it is Amazon Prime, the video service, what? which if you click on one of the links uh, on a- actual anarchy or readrothbar.com, we'll get a little bit of a compensation. So look out for that, <laughs> folks. Click on that stuff for us. But, uh, yeah, the back of this thing says, this inspiring and revealing drama focuses on the 16th president's tumultuous final four months in office as this visionary leader pursues a course of action to end the Civil War. They don't even talk about how he started it. Uh, oh, unite yeah. the country and abolish slavery. And it goes on to say, uh, Lincoln sheds light 
on a man of moral courage and fierce determination. Rolling Stone calls it a great American movie. Roger Ebert, four stars, and the New York Times, a masterpiece. So, for all it's worth, I do think Daniel Day-Lewis did an excellent actor's job, right? Like, uh, removing our political analysis, I thought he was a great actor in that movie, but that was just me. So, that was all I was talking about earlier. Um, I definitely I definitely find their use of the word visionary as interesting. Um, I mean, he uh, the only vision I can see is the vision of Hamilton and the vision of uh, Henry Clay, both of which I don't find particularly revolutionary or radical. Just yeah, I, I don't, I'm not sure how they got visionary out of that. I guess. Well, they're they're of course referring to seeing beyond race and oh. wanting to end slavery, but um, I yeah, think, I forget these things. <clears throat> yeah, I think in your perspective, you'd call him a paleo fascist, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, why does the word paleo need to be there? I mean, well, it's sort of before that... before uh, the Mussolini style fascism that. Most oh, oh, okay. I, I apologize. I was just thinking full blown. I was like, why? Why is the word paleo? No, absolutely. No, I agree. Um, I mean, uh, I think I think the most impressive thing to me about it was like they would they would have scenes where they were discussing this and then they would talk about they would be in the cabinet room talking about the war, and. They would talk about their plan to attack, um, oh, the fort, the seaport near Williamsport, like Williamsport, right? That was the that was the place I'm thinking. Or of, Wilmington, right? I think. Wilmington, yeah. Um, and they were talking about how many shells they were going to use per minute. It was like the largest fleet they had assembled ever, and it was like they were going to be they were going to be shelling them with something like a hundred shells a minute or whatever. And I was sitting here like, you're talking about shelling a town. Not a fort. Oh, you mean a fort and then a town after it, right? Because they were gonna have, that make the fort fall, and then they were gonna try to get the town after. And I was just thinking, that's I don't know. Like it was just weird. And then the, the, when they didn't get peace later, they showed that they cut to the scene of the buildings burning. And I, just, I mean, I don't know. I just had I just had a giant flashback to all the stuff I had ever read about Sherman's march to the sea. It was just bizarre. Um, yeah, well, Sherman they, just had a, a whole swath of just utter de- destruction and devastation, right? He he leveled everything. Yeah. Yeah, he did, and and I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, I I just I could not believe that how successfully they were in like romanticizing basically the authorization to wipe out whole segments of American populations, um in that scene, I don't know, that that was one of the big standouts to me too. Yeah, so uh, I I sent Robert some notes as I was watching the film, and and you know just uh, to set up the premise for this, um. I was watching it and my two kids were asleep in the other room and so I had to have the volume way, way down. So I couldn't hear the John Williams score. I couldn't really hear any of the performances. So it was sort of like, uh, and Rex, you might not even be familiar with this, but back in the old days when I would go on uh, flights for work, they would have these Mm -hmm. uh, big um, CRT television screens in the aisle of the airplane. They'd have like four or five of them down the whole aisle and they would play uh, movies to watch, and you'd be able to plug in a two-pronged headset uh, to be able to listen to them. And, and sometimes you had to pay like five bucks for the headset. Well, yeah. I, I was cheap, and I am cheap. I, I'm still cheap. So I didn't Good. buy the headsets. And so I would occasionally, you know, during this boring flight, if I had brought a book and wanted to look up and, and look at a, a movie, I, I would see it but not hear it. And it always mm-hmm. made it a detached uh, reality for me. Like... It made it like less realistic in a way, like less believable. It looked more fake 
on the screen without all the ambiance and the, the audio. Well, this film, because I had to watch it that way, it really stood out to me in that respect, but also because um, on these, and this is my, my one criticism of capitalism that I was telling Robert, they make the TVs so damn good <laughs> that everything you watch on them now looks fake. Like you can, you can see the set, you know. It looks like in, uh, watching a Mexican telenovela. And oh, so that was that bad? Oh. oh yeah, especially this one. I mean, the the opening scene where there's the uh, black union um, company fighting the Rebs and they're killing them and, and they're saying, "No, we're going to kill every last one of them. No survivors, no prisoners." You know, the 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 yeah. total war crime part. Yeah, <laughs> it looks yeah. so fake to me. Uh, and didn't Spielberg do Saving Private Ryan? Yep. Yeah, he did. I believe he did. I believe that was him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, like storming the movie. beach at Normandy was so, like, it, it it just seemed like that's what war would be like. You know, it seemed horrific yeah. and, and you know, destruction and, and pain and misery and, and all those things. This looked like a bunch of play actors doing a play on a stage, you know, yeah. fake punching each other, uh, mm. rubber-tipped uh, bayonets with springs and things like that. I don't know, I just... The production value did not did not do it for me, and so that sort of tainted the whole That's thing. Fair. Of course, I'm already tainted with Lincoln because I've I've listened to some DiLorenzo, and I'm not a big fan of uh, of this man. Um. <laughs> no, I don't blame you. Like, let's let's keep in mind too. Um, you know, you talked about the war crime opening scene. It's it's uh, it it that also served as a device to normalize the idea that like you know the moment anybody like you know that all, first off the entire confederacy was about race um which now i i'm i'm a little bit of dissenter in saying that like every as far as libertarians go and saying that there probably was more race stuff going on that we want to admit um in general i'm not saying you guys specifically uh and but i mean with that in mind still um they made the tone about the South just being about slavery, and that's all that was going on, um, despite there being a lot of other issues, like the fact that you know the federal government had no right to invade them over that issue at all. Right, you know, and like right, no mention yeah, so, of a voluntary association of separate states, separate separate countries coming together to form a union. Yep. I mean, if you voluntarily join, you should also be able to voluntarily secede. Have you guys noticed that because of that very – this entire happenstance in the Civil War and everything that like the term federalism and anti-federalism have like almost lost all meaning? Like, So I'll, I'll meet people who talk about being a constitutionalist and they're like uh, – you know, and they'll, they'll talk about how they're four states' rights and everything and about you know decentralized powers. And then they'll be like, yeah, I'm a federalist. I'm like, no, no, it's not federalism. Federalism is the idea of the Constitution and centralized power and how we're one country, right? Like, you know, that definition has lost meaning for a lot of people. So many words have gone through that phase. That oh, yeah. Process. I'm just kind of sad that one has. So, like, I always have to make the distinction. I'm a federalist. I'm anti-federalist um, for a lot of people to explain my politics. One uh, thing I do enjoy is that when this film came out, uh, the Rebs, the secessionists, were, of course, evil, racist, slave people. 
Um, but now that Trump has uh, won the election, now California wants to secede, and, and it's a total oh, I know. like leftist paradise. And, and now they're the secessionists, you know. And, and two uh, years ago, well, even a year ago, it was a bad word. Yeah, but I mean, that, let's see how long that lasts. I've been already hearing all the jokes about the dam bursting over there and how they need the federal money to fix it. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Like let's let's keep that in mind. Uh, no, I no, absolutely though. That that hypocrisy has been driving me a little bit crazy too. But I mean, you know, I just sit here and encourage them. Uh, you guys want to leave? Please do. You, you want? Yeah, no. Like if if Louisiana wants to leave tomorrow, let them leave too. Like, good lord, the sooner that all happens, the better for everybody. Yeah, uh, well, uh, Woods had an email out what a month ago where he was talking about that uh, it seemed as though the country may break up in the near future. That there's enough going on, enough division, which all politics is, is in my opinion, dividing people. You know, this group is taking advantage of you, so elect me to equalize the playing field for everyone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of an interesting perspective. Like, I think we live in interesting times, and that's one of the, what is that, an old Chinese proverb, maybe always lived in interesting times? Yes, that is true. Um, I don't know about the whole politics thing, to be honest with you. Like, only reason I, I make that whole distinction, or I, actually, no, you're right, you're absolutely right on the analysis of it, dividing people. I just don't know, so like even in, 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 you know, in the voluntary idea of the state, right, like, like a voluntary society, like, there would have to, I mean, business association, there's political aspects, and that's not me ma- poo-pooing it either, this is me saying the reality of it, and so, like, I don't always view politics as a bad thing, that's why, like, for example, I worked in two political campaigns, I don't mind it. I mind it when they're using government as a means to extort me. You know what I'm saying? Like, hmm. yeah, your I dog. Apologize. Your dog agrees with you. <laughs> yeah. It's because we opened the front door. I apologize. No, no problem. Um, yeah, you know, maybe uh, I'm just. I only see politics as being enforced through the barrel of a gun. You know, I, I'm a little bit with Mao on that. Uh, and that's like the only thing I'm with Mao on. Uh, we we did an episode a little while back about this movie, Captain Fantastic, where they're all Maoists. And uh, one of the quotes that came up was that all political power comes through the barrel of a gun. Well, so you yes, got to you got to enforce whatever whatever laws you put into place. You know, anything that's no, that's market that's regulated, true. market law, it's totally voluntary. You know, you can yes. choose to. Uh, purchase that product, uh, purchase that service. Um, if there's not one that you uh, want, you can, you know, find an, an alternative, or you can start your own. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's there's no third party preventing you from doing anything or no, forcing I, I you mean, to do I, something. Yeah, no, and I agree with that. Like, if we're talking about actually like state, like you know, governmental politics, that is 100 percent true. I, I guess my distinction, my distinctive point was that in every aspect of society, like I mean, think about your workplace, right? Like, if you work at a company, there's workplace politics, right? In the sense of, you know, manipulation to gain an end, right? You know what I'm trying to say? Um, so, for example... Um, like carrying favor with the boss, that sort of thing? Yeah, sure. Anything like that. Um, or, or, you know, just trying to get your... your getting, getting people to back up your project, right? There's a political aspect to that. You know, if it's, if, like, let's say I want to do a product, like, I live in a Mormon community and I'm trying to, like, sell a product that is morally reprehensible to people. 
um, that's going to create – there's a political aspect to that, so I won't get funded. So it's a nonviolent political thing, right? And so it's voluntary, and that's fine, correct? I'm just pointing out that the pol political nature itself is not necessarily a problem. It's the part where you have that gun existing at all. There we go. That's what I'm trying to get at. I apologize. Yeah, and perhaps you're right. Uh, I think that maybe the workplace politics is a derivative of politics, so it's sort of like it borrowed the, the term politics. Sure. I can see um, that. So, yeah, I, I'm speaking strictly of the government and the authority uh, version of it. Yeah, no, and that's fair. I was yeah, and like I guess my other point too is like I mean I still don't have an issue with people like Justin Amash and others trying to be political to stop, uh, you know, like you said, people basically using the government to beat us up and point the gun at us, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so so one thing in the opening where you're describing the film, you said that uh, you know the Thirteenth Amendment, Thirteenth Amendment, which abolished slavery. Uh, well, of course, the 16th brought it right back, right? That was the one that authorized the income tax. <laughs> right. Yep. Pretty much. May as well. <laughs> could have saved them. Could have saved them time and just like you know make the 13th Amendment about making whites subject to slavery too. Well, it's all about equality, fairness, and justice. Absolutely. All the time, every day. <laughs> like I, you know, and that was like the other thing about the movie too is, um, like, what did you guys think about Thaddeus Stevens in that movie, Tommy Lee Jones's character? Yeah, I don't even remember that character. So Daniel's got. Oh, really? That one. Yeah, so he, he's Thaddeus, like the, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, Thaddeus Stevens is the uh, Republican radical who um, doesn't want, who doesn't just want. Uh, freedom of slavery, he wants equality for slavery, right? Like suffrage, the right to vote, all that good stuff, property ownership. And um, he, uh, the ability to be representative, elected by his peers. Um, and he, he also happened to have, I guess, what would probably have been a mistress uh, who was uh, a, like a former slaver, you know, at least when she was black. And um, he... It, there's this big scene in the movie where they're trying to get this thing to pass uh, in the House of Representatives, right? And the Democrats' big ploy is to bait to bait him into saying what he's already said in the past, right? Which is that he is for not just freeing the slaves, but giving them full rights. And uh, he doesn't, and he just says, oh, no, 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 just under the law, in reference to um, being free. It, it, it's uh, it, but you know, so his character is interesting because later on he'll talk about how he wants to to uh, confiscate all the land from the South, redistribute it to all the black free people, and allow them to be farmers, and you know, uh, basically just use all the money they steal from the South to rebuild. Like it was yeah. crazy. That, that's an interesting point because I, I think that there's a very subtle difference in. You know, the Democrats wanted to bait him into saying that kind of thing, which, of course, would make it fail, right? Because no one would yeah. want to support the, the confiscation and redistribution. Um, but how, how you initially presented it, um, giving them equal rights or that they are equal, well, wouldn't that essentially be, you know, equal under the law? Like, wouldn't that essentially be the well, same thing? So, I mean, so you have to remember, though, right, is that um, – they, when they say equal under the law, they think women are equal under the law, even though they couldn't vote. 
right? So, like, there's a difference at that time anyway. And, the, I mean, if I remember right from the movie, I mean, I just watched it this morning, was uh, they were literally just trying to get it so he would admit that he was for full, like, you know, inclusion of these people into the society. Like, you know, just straight up, you know, for them having all the same rights as white people. You know, their equality, which is something Lincoln didn't even try to try to claim, and they didn't even make Lincoln try to claim it in the movie. Do you think that maybe they were saying that um, equality under the law is okay, but actually thinking that they are on this, they are the same um, stature is uh, is a negative? Do you know what I mean? Like like they're saying I that mean, his personal opinion of them is what's the problem. Treating them the same under the law is fine because that's what he ended up saying. Yes. So the. So yes, but you also have to remember that, like, I mean, they were specifically concerned about issues of voting. Like, they they mentioned that as something they were trying to get him to say. So, like, when they called him out, right, right after, uh, I can't remember if it was the younger one who was baiting him or the older one who told him to bait him, told the guy who was baiting him to bait him. Uh, it sounds like, really, really dirty. Sorry, folks. <laughs> my bad. Anyway, um, no, absolutely. Uh, he he was saying. We know you said this a thousand times, and you want them to vote. Would you stand to see, you know, uh, you know, black members of this chamber, or you know, Lord forbid, women vote? And then, of course, that that all the people, Republican and Democrats, so you have to remember they're reminding us softly that everyone was a sexist too. Um, just, just so you know, uh, at least we forget about society back then. Um, <laughs> you know, so it, it, I found it interesting because, you know. Uh, they don't shy away from the idea. Like, I mean, I don't think they presented Thaddeus as a unrighteous character. They presented him as a very good person. It's just that they also did that while, like, him and Lincoln both were like advocating for freedom at the end of a gun for these people. Yeah, I think they're making Thaddeus this total, um, uh, almost utopian is not the right word, but this um, idealist, this this hyper idealist. Yeah. So they're making him this this really great person who uh, had unrealistic goals for you know the slave question, and then they made Lincoln this deified figure. Yeah. And they did this in many different ways. Um, you know, they they had him uh, pardon the deserters. They had him visit the hospital where the um, you know in, injured soldiers were. They had him doing all these things that made him just this great benevolent person. To, to build up his, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, including try to stop his his son from going to the war, right? Yeah, that's what I was gonna get at. Which I I found interesting that they chose that when I would argue that would vilify him, for me, from my perspective, because right. you know he's using his political like literally he says, um, every other father I wish they had this power, uh, but I happen to be the commander in chief, so you won't be enlisting. Like I have the ability to just say no, and I was like, really. We're going to just be that bold-faced about the political corruption going on in this movie. Also, the other thing about Thaddeus, right, is like he does make Lincoln look more reasonable, right? Because Lincoln wasn't talking about you know confiscating all the land. He wanted to go easy on them, supposedly. Uh, easy <laughs> on the South. Right, yes. right. By, by utterly destroying them. Yeah. You know, Sherman, Sherman was under Lincoln's leadership. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. You, you know, know that... that uh, sorry, uh, that that reminds me of uh, the MLK episode we did with um, Ryan Jones, where uh, Malcolm X went down to Selma and said, "Hey, I'll be the crazy one so that you'll look more reasonable, um, Martin Luther King." 
that sort of reminds me of that that dynamic that you yeah. just mentioned with Thaddeus and Lincoln. Absolutely, and I, I think, and, and the thing to keep in mind is, I mean, on some level, it's true that Thaddeus is more radical than Lincoln. I mean, like if you go to the history too, like Thaddeus wanted to, he he condemned the Reconstruction plan they came up with as too benevolent, too nice. So before he died, like it, it's crazy. Um, him is a real character, and I, I just found it how they painted him as such a good person, as such a, you know, non non terrible human being, and. Uh, Yet he's still calling for all of this, you know, military intervention, occupation, and confiscation of wealth. It was, and it's interesting. So it, it purely serves the purpose of making Lincoln look better in the film, anyway. Guys. Yeah. Um, okay. Sorry, Daniel. Go for it. I'm just. Uh, I was taken back by a comment that you were, you guys were talking about um, in the Senate, and. Uh, Oh yeah, go for it. What, what what was it? What was going on? Well, you guys were talking about um, that only that they wanted to give you know black people the right to vote, where at the time it was just or women the right to vote, and it was just white male landowners who were able to yeah. vote. Is that? I I'm not exactly sure on this. So I was I was saying that like the argument that was used to try to get Thaddeus to look crazier, right? Because the whole thing was that Thaddeus went full crazy, like his full radical views. It was going to kill the amendment in in Congress because all these people who were going to vote for it were going to be like, oh heck no, because that's not what I'm supporting, right? And the argument that was being used by the Democrat to bait him was saying, would you stand to see uh, women voting, and would you stand to see black members in this chamber, right? Like black uh, representatives. So yeah, it, it, they they weren't saying that's what they were voting on. They were saying that this is what this guy believes, and this is why you shouldn't vote for it because he's really for this radical agenda. That makes sense, right? Yeah, no, it makes sense. I just the, you were saying that the movie characterizes these men as like sexists and you know whatever, oh. and I would tend to agree with that. But um, I know that their, I, I believe their argument was that well, only people who have like an invested interest, interest yeah. in in the country and like in land, like I own land, mm -hmm. therefore I have a vested interest in how that land is dealt with in terms of the law uh -huh. has a right to vote. So I think they, you know, by proxy or by consequence, they are sexist, but by interest, I think they are just being more pragmatic. I mean, so yes and no, like I would definitely agree with that with the framers. I would agree with that arguments very heavily with the framers. Uh, I just think we're a couple, we're like a generation past the framers at this point. Like a lot of these guys, I mean, some of them absolutely. Like, I have definitely there were there were hardcore like Republican, you know, Jeffersonian types, you know, that existed, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just pointing out that there is definitely like, I'm not sure how far off the framing of uh, saying how how dare we let these these people, you know, get these kinds of rights. Um, I, I do think your arguments sound though, like, it, and it is one of those things that's really hard to distinguish because I mean, I, and I would have to read more on it, and I'll fully admit that. So. Yeah, I don't know if it was necessarily, oh my God, giving women the right to vote, the horror. It was more necessarily giving non-landowners the right to vote. And I don't know sure. if it's the truth or not, but yeah. that seems to be the case is that they were just more interested in, well, these people don't even have an interest, a vested no, interest in this country, so why, why would we give them the right to vote? No, that's true. And I mean, and again, I'm just talking about how the movie portrays it, right? right. Like, so... The movie portrayed it in this fashion, and it was really interesting because, mm -hmm. again, it's like showing you 
the nuances, like, I mean, it, it, there's some legitimacy to this, the nuances of politics, right? Like, you have to make it sound the right way, and you have to make it uh, not political suicide for people. And a lot of what the 13th Amendment had the potential to do, theoretically, was kill a lot of careers. Mm-hmm. Also, the boldface corruption in the movie was interesting, too, how they just, like, Lincoln straight up authorized the selling of political jobs in in, in exchange for votes for this amendment. So you think that this movie was a little more nuanced, a little less of a deification of the guy? No, I think it was definitely deification. No, okay. no, no. I just – so, like, I'm a big believer in, like, the idea that just because – like, so it can be totally deifying Lincoln – I just found like the political dance going on in the movie interesting. Okay, so that whole the whole setup of the movie worked for you because I remember watching it back when the theater came out, um, and the whole setup of the movie didn't work for me because Spielberg framed the movie in a sense of is he going to be able to pass the Thirteenth Amendment? How's mm-hmm. he going to do it? And so you had to be on board with how it was going to happen, not if it was going to happen, because you knew it was going to happen. Yes. That, so that whole thing was the whole tension of whether or not it was going to happen or not was lost on me. Yeah. It's just a baffling um, I, choice I, to make. No, and I mean, and I was more fascinated by like how it was happening. I'm not saying I was for any of it because again, right. like I found the whole selling of political positions, like you know, bureaucratic positions, like rather disgusting, you know, and very, very Clinton esque, right? Or I guess we could say Lincoln esque now, right? Um, <laughs> But, I mean, I, I would also say, though, like, I mean, the reality is, is like, uh, what what's the argument Walter Block makes about, you know, how, you know, if we have the option to vote for our slave masters, you know, one only beats us once a week and one beats us every day, you know, how we should still vote for the guy who beats us once a week. I mean, understanding how they come to these conclusions, I think, is helpful and important on some level, if it's accurate. I just found it interesting. You know, we we brought up that quote several times on the show, and we're like, well, they're promising but it's a political promise in the campaign, so who knows if they're actually going to do it. I mean, how many political promises get broken? Um, almost all of oh, yeah. them. I think Trump is actually the one example of someone who's actually gone and done most of the things he said he was going to do, which is yeah, kind of interesting. To. Yeah, and I'm no fan of the guy. Of, yeah. I think he's a monster. <laughs> but oh, uh, see, I at, least, don't think... at least he's doing what he said he was going to do. Yeah, I, so what's interesting is I don't think he's as bad as a monster. I definitely think he's not Rothbardian. I definitely think he's not libertarian. I, I definitely don't like the guy um, from like a personal standpoint. Uh, but it is worth pointing out there's been more, with the exception of Jeff Sessions and the fact that he's all of a sudden coming out for civil asset forfeiture, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of, a lot of positives about Trump that we are um, not acknowledging a lot of the time. Like I think, uh, you know, just the general, like I mean, think about think about this. The, uh, Gorsh, the guy he's picked for Supreme Court, right? Um, I don't think we get anyone near as good if even like if like if Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio had won the presidency right off of Clinton, because I think anyone any Republican could have beaten Clinton, to be honest with you. Um, like we probably have ended up with some moderate, and it would have been worse. We certainly wouldn't have Judge Andrew Napolitano getting the chance to talk in the guy's ear. We wouldn't be out of the TPP. We wouldn't have a guy who's looking at repealing federal regulation for the first time in forever, like in a real way. Um, you know, and this is not an endorsement. I would never – I didn't vote for him. I wouldn't vote for him. I don't think I'll vote for him for re-election or anything. But I'm just saying, like, there's a lot more good than we give him credit for as libertarians. 
Sure. I would agree with all your points, and I would add the the whole, as uh, Dave Smith notes, the, the Trump effect of pointing out the the dishonesty of the mainstream media and just how they're a mm-hmm. pack of liars. Oh, I love oh, that yeah, part. No. That part's great. <laughs> oh, no, like, I mean, just for the value of destroy, like, the, j- honestly, I was like, this is the best decision for the United States when he gave Alex Jones press, uh, White House press credentials. I was mm. like, yes, I, I approve of this presidency at the moment. Um, right. And then Yemen happened, and then I was like, okay, I disapprove again. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that, that's where so, he becomes a monster for me because he's he's ahead yeah. of this, you know, this Leviathan state, war state, and, and he's already got dead dead kids on his hands with drone strikes. See, I, I, I have to, but I always have to ask this question for people. Like, I mean, because, I mean, working working in in the military, it's like, I, I, I don't know. Listen, guys, like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of decisions that are made by a lot of people there. A lot of things are just blanket authorized, and I don't know how, how, how much of a pause button there is when one president goes out and one comes in, you know? Does that make sense? I, I I totally believe he authorized the Yemen mission. That's not my point. My point is, is like, let's say for the sake of argument, Ron Paul had won the election uh, back when he ran in 2012, right? Mm-hmm. And then second day in office, we hear about you know, like a giant drone strike program thing that goes off, kills a hundred people or whatever. You know, all, the gut reaction is to be like, President Paul is responsible for this. Right. The same way we say President Trump is responsible for this. There's a giant chain of command underneath him. The apparatus is already in motion. Exactly. Like, I mean, we talk about these federal bureaucracies, like Betsy DeVos is, like, having to fight her own department right now, you know? Um, Yeah, but that excuse only for the first couple weeks, right? After that, you've got to assume that he has input on these things. And and, and he hasn't exactly backed down on his war talk. No, 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 no. I'm not saying this is a universal example, and I'm not saying this is even specifically defense Trump, because I still think he's bad. I still think he's bad on war. Uh, which is something I said from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just merely pointing out, especially in these early months, we kind of got to be a little lenient on how hard we are on him in the sense of and not saying we shouldn't criticize the war stuff. I'm not saying that. I'm saying how informative it is as him as president because what will really tell how, how he is on war is whether or not he starts a new one with Iran, China, or um, Syria. Right? Like, that's kind of the... I mean, like, I hate to be like this, but like bigger fish to fry, right? Like, we got to... I mean, like, from his perspective, he's still learning stuff. I mean, I I don't think he understood a thing about foreign policy until he got into this position, you know? He seems to be the guy that has no problem with war. He just wants to execute the wars better. No, I get that. I'm not debating that. I'm trying to say yeah. is that, like, remember, he, I think the best example of this is the Israel thing, right? He wanted to put, like, the embassy in Jerusalem or something crazy. Like, he wanted to put it, like, right on the West Bank or near the West Bank. It, it was some crazy, like, he wanted to move it and, you know, threaten – it basically threatened the entire idea of um, the the two-state solution or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, he quickly he quickly backed off that position because he realized when he got there, the situation was way hairier than it actually is. I feel like there's a lot of that going on with him. And, um, you know, also, it's worth pointing out, like, the people whispering in his ear do have an effect on what he's doing. Right, like, um, oh, he's full of, full of neocons. Yeah, like he has all these grammar worm tongues whispering into his ear about <laughs> how he needs to, you know, protect himself and like, you know, do what's best. But in reality, all he's doing is creating more blowback. So I guess what I'm saying is, I'll be interested as Trump becomes more, uh, let's say, self-actualized as a president. You know, more in control of everything. 
I'll be interested to see where his foreign policy evolves from there. Because right now, he's like, who knows what the neocons are telling him to do, you know? Yeah, you know, I, I'd, I'd grant you that. I think that there's probably tens of thousands of things he doesn't even know about yet that are still going on and still in motion. Because uh, yeah. there's this whole bureaucratic apparatus, like we were saying. Um, yeah, and that's and, on all sides, too. Yeah, and didn't Obama basically blame Bush for everything for, I don't know, the first six years of his presidency? Oh, I, I know. And I mean, I won't give Trump that. I'll give him, like, you know, four months, probably, before, <laughs> I, like, start, before I start getting, like, annoyed about it, annoyed about it. But, I mean, you know, um, I definitely – and I definitely blame him for the Yemen thing because I feel like he had to sign off on that. I could be wrong. I mean, that's just my instincts. Um, and, no, but, I mean, like, I just am saying, like, we have to keep in mind he's not a libertarian. Uh, yes, criticize him for war, right? I want us to stop fighting these wars, but like, or his dumb trade policies. Yeah, or his dumb trade trade policies. Yeah, though um, I think I think you're right. Getting out of the T TPP is probably good. I mean, free trade should be a, a one sentence deal, not a nine thousand page document. Oh, absolutely. And like, do we really believe it's free tr trade at that point? Like, you know, like, I haven't read it, but, I mean, do we really believe it's a free trade agreement if there's, like, a million lines of text? No, that, that means you have to give legal parameters for things. So I I don't buy the TPP thing was a free trade agreement. Yeah, and all. it always depends on what the definition of the word is, is, right? To oh, my, back to oh. Uh, Clinton. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, so, I mean, that, there's there's a lot of that. And, I mean, it it is, I think it's not, too unfair to say that of the last like six presidents so far, Trump has been the best of the last six, easily. I liked uh, Reagan's rhetoric. Um, his actions yeah. were, of course, far different. Yeah, no, Reagan's rhetoric was was great. It was just everything else. Yeah. No, and I th I think Trump's similar. I think like some of his rhetoric's good, some of it's bad, but ultimately his actions are a mixed bag as well. So I mean, I think it's about as good as Reagan at this point. Yeah. Well, hey, let's swing this back uh, towards the movie Lincoln. You had mentioned that he was going to pull rank with his son and not let him enlist. And um, I, I like how that sort of uh, it, it precedes uh, John Fogarty being uh, being around with his I ain't no senator's son, you know, which is about <laughs> right. the uh, Vietnam War and all the senator's sons didn't have to go to fight, but all the, you know, all the poor kids had to. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. It's It's definitely... It's definitely interesting that, like, you know, that song's such a – like, the Vietnam War is such a frowned-upon thing, and, you know, political advantage of these children was such a bad thing, and then, like, literally you just acknowledge it in this movie, and nobody just bats an eyelash. They're like, yep, you're good, Dad, you know, um, until he finally gives in and lets his son enlist, and then he has to deal with his crazy wife, and I don't know. It was It was just really bizarre that they, like, were so willing to paint Lincoln that way. To me, yeah. I just thought it was bad. I thought it was like a bad way to present him. Now, I don't know if it's it's true, but in the film, they make him the aide to General Grant, um, you know, behind behind the, the lines. You know, he's not at mm -hmm. the front lines. He's he's in a very, I want to say, Posh. privileged position. Posh. Yeah. No, yeah, no, it's true. Like, I don't know how they reconcile this to me. Like, it just seems like so bold-faced, like, corruption. Like, I don't... I mean, and there's not really much much more analytics to go into that, right? Like, you, you literally used your position as commander-in-chief to move this person from one place to the other out of harm's way, um, you know. And now you made him an aide to a, a guy who's going to have a pretty successful political career, 
uh, once this war is over. I mean, you can't know that, but I mean, he's. He, I mean, it stands to reason as like the commander in chief under the president, right? That you have a pretty good political position waiting for you when this is all said and over. So you know, it's. Uh, it was pretty. It was pretty remarkable to me that they did that and were still able to keep this deification going on. Now, in the movie, it's been a while since I've seen it, and I don't recall this at all, so you guys can probably correct me on this or not. Sure. But um, the assassination, as I recall, takes place. And does the movie get into any kind of speculation or evidence as to the cause or the motivation behind the assassination? Or does I don't it remember, deal with Dan. It like, oh, this fallen king kind of guy? Dan, I don't remember very well. I'm forgetting. What what did you? Because I think I didn't see all of that because I like was watch rewatching it and I just I think I cut it off to go set up my computer. What what do you remember about that? Because I'm struggling. You know the only thing uh, that I recall is that they uh, <clears throat> they said you know he's he's taken to the ages now or something like that. His legacy is uh, he's oh, gone yeah. now. Um, but I think that because the whole premise of the film is the the racism and the anti-slavery stuff that it's sort of implied, though not overt, that, that that was the reasoning behind it. They don't really get into it. They just say, hey, he's gone now, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. So they don't give any kind of legitimate reasons. Like, there's never a good reason to kill a president? I mean, so... Keep in mind, this is dangerous territory to talk about. <laughs> yes, saying, I agree. NSA data mining, guys, come on. Um, <laughs> like, I think... I'm just saying, I'm level... saying that Wilkes had his reasons. I mean, yeah, he was probably paid to do it. Yeah. But whatever group did it, just like, I mean, the Kennedy assassination, they had, they had, a, motiv- they had a motive, they had a, yes. an apparatus behind it. I mean, they weren't just, it didn't just happen out of the blue. Yeah, it wasn't just like you just don't Some think lone it was guy. Like, as simple as yeah, you don't think it's simple as just a disgruntled, angry person, which is fair. Yeah, it's, it's like, always yeah. a lone nut, right? That's I think in yeah. a Roth, Rothbard lecture he says it's always a lone nut. You know why right. is and that? And then oh, there just happened to be so many all these people that benefit. <laughs> just happened to be. Oh yeah, yeah. But you know, in the film they they portray like uh, when when the House is meeting on this thing and and uh, they need to get a message from Lincoln real quick, the guys run from the chambers to the White House and just waltz right in. You know, it's sort of like, how did this not happen earlier? <laughs> like yeah, zero, no, zero security. Yeah, there wasn't, and to keep in mind, I don't think they, they uh, I think this is a Tom Woodshow episode where they talked about this, but they didn't, or no, this might be Diane Reams. It, so, but there wasn't, I think it was McKinney who got assassinated and then they got the Secret Service, right? The Secret Service didn't exist until like two more assassinations down the road. Which is crazy. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's like it's it's insane. Um, the lack of security, like the security for the president, has like I mean, as far as historical terms, is like fairly recent, right? Like last hundred years. Hmm. Yeah, but he, here um, he is prosecuting this war against the South. Um, I can't imagine that that there really was that lax amount of security around him. If taking the head off the snake would have, you know, ended the war or at least disrupted the northern um, army. I mean, don't you think that they could have gotten somebody up there? I mean, they got the whole delegates up there that the, they sent the other, like you were saying earlier, the, the rich um, conservative down to meet with Jeff Davis and the, and the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. I mean, people were able to tra- travel back and forth. 
So, uh, I mean, on some level. Think, yeah, I mean, I would definitely argue that in this case, I mean, I obviously internet correct me if I'm wrong, but I would definitely argue that if somebody had gotten to Lincoln before the war was over, there was a good chance he could have gotten a peace negotiated with the southern states intact. Yeah, you know, and that was one of the things um, in the movie that really bothered me, was that here he is, he's got the um, delegates, delegation from the South coming up to negotiate a peace, and he purposefully delays them. Oh, yeah. So, you know, so, I mean, he, he could have ended the war, yep. right? And yet, no, I'm going to hold out for this, this other thing. And, and note how many deified. Yeah, and how many more thousands of people died in that period, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, that that was one of my big things too. Is like, and this is why I was saying the political aspect's interesting. Is because like all of that was a giant dance to get the the amendment passed, right? And that is interesting because it talks, it shows bear the issues with politics, right? Everyone's being self motivated, right? Because think about it: the people who are voting against it believe their constituents would not vote them back in. Uh, the people who voted for it were either thinking their constituents would vote them back in. Or they were getting a job out of it, with the exception of like one or two people who like you know, you know, nearly collapsed on the floor when they voted yes. Uh, right, right. <laughs> you know. Uh, it, well, it and, and you actually just brought up a key point um, because th these people voting, this is already post-election, but before the new um, new people were coming in, so. Many of these people um, had recently been voted out of office, but were still in office until you know s some such time that the oh, yeah. newly elected person comes in. So they could still vote on something, even though they were no longer uh, the current elected person. You know, like there's this I, overlap period at yeah. the time. If I and if I remember correctly, what was weird about that to me, right, was that um, it would have been easier to pass that without that election, sorry, sorry, with that election having come to pass with all the seat changes, because they still had a majority and they were going to have a bigger majority, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong, but if... I, I, no, I, yeah, I, I think he, he alluded to that. He said, uh, or one of the one of the guys in um, in his, his cabinet, uh, cabinet was, was saying... Secretary of State. It was Secretary. Yeah, just wait for the new session, and this will pass easily. And he's like, no, and if I remember right, his time, timing, his reasons for the timing was... He needed a way to maintain the union, right? Keep the union together, abolish slavery, which is like his whole propaganda piece for the war, by the way, was was slavery. Um, and then still incorporate the southern states so they could vote, like you know, at least ratify them, right? He wouldn't be able to. He wouldn't be able to get them to vote representatively, right? So, if, like Arkansas's representatives and like everybody else's representatives were there, it would not have passed. He wouldn't get two thirds majority in the House. I believe was his reasoning. And if he had waited for the war, because they thought they were winning the war, right? And his version of winning the war is making sure they're re reintegrated into the United States. You know, right. they get representatives back. All of a sudden, they don't have the ability to pass, pass it. Right. Right. So uh, sneaky and sly for sure. Yeah, no, exactly. a lot of people died needlessly. No, it's true, and 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 the reason that's interesting too is because it really reveals just how focused. Like that was the bit that revealed how much of a unionist Lincoln was, right? Like mm -hmm. he has to literally push a vote that should not work through the House so he can win his war and take them back, as opposed to just let them secede. 
Right. Which is why the analytics of the movie is interesting to me. It's not because I agree with any of it. It's because it it reveal it just it it reveals a lot about strategy, human nature, and other things. Yeah. So any uh, we should probably start winding this one down. Um, you've been a, a really excellent guest. Um, you want to give us uh, your you know final rundown on on your thoughts on the film? Yeah, I felt like the movie was as far as like if you just soullessly take away the political like virtue signaling in the film it's an entertaining movie that's like fun to watch uh once you like take into consideration the inaccuracies it it becomes a lot less which is a shame because daniel day lewis did do a good job um it i felt like overall the thing that the movie did was it deified lincoln while uh glorifying his flaws right they made him out to be a dictator they made him out to be this guy who was you know a virtuous authoritarian, which actually alludes to episode 11 of the Tom Woods show, uh, where, where it was the first time Tom, like, took on the whole Lincoln myth, and he talks about, like, the reason everyone loves Lincoln is because it authorizes, helps authorize the government we have today. Um, I definitely felt that that film definitely played that role, and it authorized the government we have today in, this, in the way of, you know, saying that, you know, all, like, going over, using executive power is the way to achieve social equality and freedom. Right. So that was my that was my main thoughts on the film, to be honest. So Robert, in your uh, creaky old my, old man memory from seeing this like two three years this, ago, when did this movie think? come out? Twenty twelve. Okay, so I haven't seen it in five years. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just remember being impressed with Lewis's performance. Um, this was at the time when I was becoming an ANCAP libertarian. I was still having a lot of questions, so. I wasn't in love with – I've never been in love with the government, although I was a, a, a lefty person growing up. Um, I've never loved war. Um, so I, I objected to a lot of things in this movie, but the main one at the time, just from an entertainment perspective, was I wasn't necessarily on board and interested in how he had gotten – the, the the amendment passed, although the points you've been raising have made me more interested in it than I was at the time. Um, it just seemed more like a um, a mystery movie, as in, like, how is he going to get this done, as opposed to if he gets it done, whereas at the time, I thought it was more of a, is he going to do it? Is he going to be able to get it passed? And since yeah. you knew he got it passed, it, it kind of defeated the whole purpose of the movie for me at the time, but... Um, I don't know, listening to you guys talk about it has made it a lot more interesting to me, although I would say that any movie that glorifies and deifies government isn't one I can get behind. Um, oh, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So, Daniel, what are your, your thoughts on this film? This kind of passing thoughts here. Well, I'll stick by my telenovela status. Um, I felt like the production, maybe it was because capitalism made my TV too good. Um, and I could tell that, uh, you know, it was a set and a lot of CGI. <laughs> um, and I couldn't hear the film very well, so I was reading text on the screen. Um, but I, I, I knew going into it that I wasn't going to like the film, so maybe that poisoned the well a little bit. Uh, I was sort of dreading watching this movie, but I knew that we had to do one for President's Day, and why not this one? Though I'm sure that the... Uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer one was probably a better film. 
<laughs> yeah, I have not seen that movie. It's not bad. It's not bad. For the okay. social, for the social, like science level, probably feels better. I'm sure. Definitely. Yeah, so maybe I will watch that one um, just so I actually do have a, a contrast to have. But uh, you know, I'm just—it's a, a little bit of a throwaway line there. But I think that that one probably is a better film, uh, which is weird because Spielberg is like this—you um, know—great filmmaker, right? He's one of the yeah. giants, uh, and you know, maybe he needs to stick with um, doing Aliens uh, in the front basket of a bicycle or. Uh, Get Harrison Ford to come back and do uh, another Indiana Jones or something. I don't know. Uh, no, we're, we've had too much. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't forgive him for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I just can't. No, I can't either. That thing was a, a shit show for sure. Childbirth was the best performance, and that's sad. Oh, man, he's gone totally crazy lately. Oh, I know. Just yeah. when I thought you brought it back. Nope, crazy again. Yeah. <laughs> Is he still in front of that uh, wall saying he will not oh. divide us? Is that his thing? I guess. I don't know, man. He should just wear a mask with all the other Antifa so I don't have to know. Yeah, I know he got arrested because he, he was assaulting people, right? Like, I love how, like, the only person who... Like, this is hilarious. The only person that can get arrested for for being an Antifa is a celebrity, right? But none <laughs> of the Antifas can actually get arrested. What? Just really? saying. Like, it's weird. Yeah, there's that one uh, woman who was on Tucker Carlson, and she's been interviewed on, on um, you know, local news shows oh. as well where she's oh, basically yeah. there's video of her like physically uh assaulting people she admits to it she's she's instigating it more and she's a middle school teacher uh kindergarten teacher is what i had heard oh she kindergarten really i was, I, I thought it was I've, I've heard different reports it's fine like I, I don't know for sure but i know she's a teacher and that's still terrifying yeah yeah these are the people that are educating our youth yeah. uh these are yeah and a lot of these uh professors have come out and condoned a lot of the violence. It's really disturbing. It, it's terrible. And, I mean, this is going to sound like anti-Rothbardian for a second, but I swear, like, I mean, all I'm hearing is them giving authorization for me to, like, you know, respond in kind. So, I mean, hey, man, I'm peaceful, but if you're going to be like this, you know, I know the force is coming against me, so why would I hold back, you know? Yeah, it's like they've all, the left has all adopted the Bush Doctrine. You know, the oh, yeah. strike. Exactly. Yeah. If that's the case, libertarians, be ready. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the good thing that the left is so anti-gun, right? <laughs> yeah, right. We have a we have a good unfair advantage in our favor. I like it. Yeah. So hey, before we wrap up, I want to give you assholes a uh, pop quiz. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> All right. It's a really mean, easy one. <laughs> it's super easy. There's like 15 questions. I'll just read a few. Oh, I know this quiz. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> what president? raised a huge army at his own will without the approval of Congress. Hmm, seems hard. I don't know. How, how would you take this one? No, I'm joking. Go ahead, read them. Yeah, I'll just keep going through the questions. It's all the same answer. No, I know. Uh, what president started a war of choice in violation of every principle of Christian just war teaching? What president said he had to violate the Constitution in order to save it? Sounds vaguely familiar with uh, George Bush and violating capitalism to principles. save it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is that is, is that still part of uh, Tom Wood's opening? Uh, back in the day, it was not now. Okay, yeah. I, sorry, Tom. I don't I don't listen as much as I should. <laughs> uh, yeah, like that, that's an old. <laughs> which president declared elected legislatures of thirteen states to be combinations of criminals that he had to suppress? Uh, which president said he was indifferent to slavery? but would use any force necessary to collect taxes. 
who sent combat troops from the battlefield to, bom to bombard and occupy New York City, who sent the army to arrest in the middle of the night thousands of private citizens for expressing their opinions and held them incommunicado in military prisons with total denial of due process of law and had soldiers destroy newspaper manufacturing plants. And it goes on and on. I will post this in the show notes, but there's another 10 or 15 questions. But the answer, of course, is our guest, Rex. What's, who's the answer? Abraham Lincoln. That's right. That's right. He is, <laughs> you know, this pop quiz really, I think, is a, is a, is a good red pill for people if they ever oh, yeah. run across it and be like, holy crap, you know, he was actually doing some very awful stuff. I'm just going to post the quiz one day and just, like, leave the answer off and just see if people Google it. Yeah, that's I think probably yeah. the best way to do it. Yeah, that's a fair question. We'll post it below. It'll be pretty obvious because the title of our show is about Lincoln. But <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, anyway, Rex, thank you so much for coming on. We do look forward to um, having you be a contributing author for us at actualanarchy.com. And uh, when, when you do get your site up and running, we will uh, pimp, pimp the hell out of it. Awesome. I appreciate it, guys. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks, man, for coming on. It's been nice. Uh, I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I know. I enjoyed it. All right. Well, that has been our President's Day special for the Actual Anarchy podcast. We did the movie Lincoln, if, you know, you just listened to the very end of the show. And uh, click on any of the Amazon links at actualanarchy.com or readrothbard.com. Uh, support us at uh, patreon.com slash readrothbard or uh, click on tip jar at readrothbard.com. There's so many different ways to support us, uh, even if it's just comments or likes or shares or iTunes uh, subscriptions or reviews or ratings. Pretty much anything gives us a reason to, to get out of bed in the morning and keep doing what we're doing. So we thank you guys for joining us for this episode and look for more coming from us in the coming weeks where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. And uh, this is Daniel signing out. Robert, the last word. That's right. Uh, have a good day, Freedom Nerds. Um, you know, President's Day, we did it, but hopefully... We won't always be doing one of these. Take care, everybody. The Chipmunks. C-H-I-P-M-U-N-K. We're the chipmunks, guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do